Welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he'd memorize every juror's name and address. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. If you need anything at all, just think of me as the new James Wesley. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 312, One Last Shot, is sponsored by Five Senses Telecommunications. Our fiber optic cable cuts right through the riffraff of Rush Hour. Yikes. Pete, here we are, the penultimate episode of the season. Just want to remind our listeners, we would love to hear feedback about the season as a whole, which we will be podcasting before you know it, and uh, probably be recording it a little early before it drops, so please do share your thoughts ASAP. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Fisk is waiting for a helicopter to arrive, and it does. As Vanessa steps out, Fisk is told Nadine has escaped. Our two lovers meet and embrace. Elsewhere, Matt Murdock is walking down the street, cane in hand. Nadine's car is brought up, and Seema and Sammy are snuck into this temporary safe house. Detective Mahoney is there, too, implicitly sanctioning this as a safe house. Given a moment of privacy, Seema rips into Ray. She believed he was a good man, an honest man, and now she knows him to be a liar. He begs for her forgiveness, but she's not ready to give it. Outside the apartment building, Foggy and Matt are on the same page about how to handle things. Specifically, Nelson Murdoch, attorneys at law, are back, and Nadim is to hire them. The credits show that the episode is written by Sam Ernst, a series co-executive producer, and directed by Phil Abraham, the great Phil Abraham, director of other episodes of Daredevil, of Ozark, of Mad Men, and The Sopranos. Meanwhile, at the stately presidential hotel, Fisk and his government protection roll up. The entire building, the restaurants and spa on the view, all belong to Fisk and Vanessa. On the top floor, Dex is filled with the mental buzzing in his head. Fisk isn't willing to listen to him. The story stays with Fisk, showing off his penthouse retreat. Vanessa takes it all in, including the art. He was hoping she would curate an art collection to display in the hotel. She's initially silent, then thanks him. She seems distant and says she's tired. She doesn't even need him to show her the way to the master suite. Clearly, this is not what Fisk wanted. The story moves to Karen, working for the law office in Fogwell's gym. Nadim is brought in, hat in hand, for not listening to Karen. They make plans to get Ray out of the country. But does he deserve this? Karen, of all people, says having hurt people needn't define a person. Ray steps away, and Karen says it's time for her to leave. Elsewhere, Mahoney in a police car pulls over D.A. Tower to get Foggy to talk to Tower. Foggy steps into the car and makes an offer. Listen to a Nelson and Murdoch client for an hour, and Foggy will drop out of the D.A. race. Heck, Foggy is dropping out anyway since he's tainted by Fisk. A bit later in the gym, Ray reflects on the love he had for his job. In a scene where, shall we say, Jay Ali's accent wanders a bit, Matt questions why Ray took the bait time after time after time. Matt hammers home that everyone has big problems in life, but not everyone turns into an accessory to many crimes. Foggy and Tower arrive, and Nadim starts to talk about Fisk's litany of crimes. Why is he coming forward now? because he hurt people and needs to make up for it. 
Later, Nadim wraps up his list of sins, and Tower is enraged at the idea that the attorneys want full immunity from prosecution on so many sins. They remind Tower that he can be a man who takes down Fisk, but Tower is ready to walk if no justice is otherwise served. However, Nadim will take five years in prison. Tower okays the deal and leaves. Nadim calls his son, trying to contextualize his crimes, the fault being that he didn't stop the bad things that he was witnessing. Foggy is happy the team is back together, and he's even willing to give up that midtown payday to keep it going. Back to Fisk and his blank wall, he's alone, except for Dex bearing coffee. Dex stumbles and fumbles through an apology of not taking out Karen and promises to fix it, but Fisk is taking away this burden and handing it to someone else. Dex looks stunned. Later, Fisk is making an omelet, just like he mentally practiced in prison. It's her favorite, and she's famished. It's perfect, and he even pours her a glass of OJ. But what's bothering her? She spent her time away lonely, though surrounded by Fisk's people. Now she's still lonely, though surrounded by Fisk's things. She doesn't feel like she's with him. What can he do? Felix Manning enters and interrupts, This cannot wait. The two men step aside, and Manning says that Nadim has not been found, and indications are he's going to testify. Manning is willing to resign over the fact that Nadim is still alive, but Fisk values the two years Vanessa were kept safe. Manning has to finish the job. Fisk will not be indicted. On the streets, editor Ellison is buying two knishes, and Karen approaches him. He's happy she's alive, but disappointed she won't out the real daredevil. But she will out the fake one, Ben Pointexter. This is quite an exclusive for her, but this is bigger than the paper. She suggests he call a press conference for Karen Page to make a statement. Back at the penthouse, the painting is back, apparently at the hand of Dex. He introduces himself to Vanessa as the new James Wesley, and notes that he's always told old Wilson that he's got a good eye for art. To get it back, he asked the nice lady one last time. The camera shows a drop of blood on the frame. Vanessa might have noticed it too. Outside the gym, Nadim lollygags his way into not a police cruiser, but a telecom truck that is his protected cover. Luckily, it's just a story conceit. In the back of the truck, Nadim asks about Daredevil. How does Matt balance it all? After all, Seema might never come back to him conversation is interrupted by Matt overhearing men approaching the vehicle. Bullets fly and the driver is dead. Ray shoots some gunmen at Matt's direction and they make their way to a waiting bus. They take out two more baddies, barely, then make their way to a waiting car, which is a cab. At the courthouse, Foggy and Karen and Tower are concerned, but Matt and Nadim make it there. Karen's diversion is work too, although we're not initially clear what it is. In the courthouse, Nadim is sworn in. Outside it, Karen makes her statement. We've been manipulated by a psychopath who cares only for himself, and the red-suited daredevil is not the real one. Dex watches via TV, but back in the courthouse, Nadim has testified successfully and lollygags in the hall with Nelson Murdoch. Just lollygagging. The three men take a verbal victory lap, but then Matt overhears a juror naming every juror and their address. Fisk has the jury. Later, D.A. Tower announces just that, and now it appears this was mechanized by Karen Page and the failing bulletin. In the courthouse, in the bathroom, Ray is vomiting, and Foggy's way of doing things of trusting the system seems weak and naive. In the penthouse, 
Fisk is stopped in his tracks, seeing the painting he had intended to keep with its owner, delivered to him by the new James Wesley. He and Vanessa both see the blood on the frame. Fisk will handle it, but it's time they speak honestly. She was drawn to his strength and brutality and fell in love with him, but this will leave her lonely. She wants to be part of his world fully. He considers it and takes her down to the room from which Kingpin watches everyone. Felix is told to update them, to speak freely. It's noted that Nadim's testimony is sealed, but making him testify again, alive, might blow back most on Nadim himself. Vanessa thinks it would be simply safer to remove the threat. Perhaps Agent Point Dexter could solve the problem, and she, she, gives the order to Manning. In the suburbs, Ray is brought home, walking into the empty place. Fisk's cameras watch him enter. The sound design here is all but dead quiet as Ray looks over the pictures of his former life. He records a video for his family and asks Sammy to elevate his mother. Later, Dex arrives, gun in hand. Ray hoped it would be him. Dex is cool and focused. Sure, he won't get buried by Fisk one day. Ray reminds Dex that Dex has been turned around by Fisk, just like the others, but they can still work together. They can do good. Dex declines. He's been given his true self by Fisk. Ray notes his family is at risk while he's alive. Dex tries to get him inside, but Ray draws his firearm. Dex shoots him dead, Ray's body landing in the pit that would have been the family pool. At Fogwell's gym, Foggy is unwell. He's been told the news. Karen is silent, and Matt boils over. He leaves. After all, they've tried it Foggy's way. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat in Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start with Fisk, who, among the other litany of sins in this episode and the things that he helps facilitate, like Ray's death and all of that, uh, we have him adding to the crime family here. Yeah, um, I had wondered in the previous episode the level of manipulation he's been subject to. And what do you know? Here he winds up bringing Vanessa into his world. She is a willing participant into it. It's not like, uh, you know, he hasn't tried to spare her this misguided sense of chivalry that he has. You know, he opens doors, Matt. Uh, he, he makes he's gotten her. He makes omelets. He's gotten her a a hotel with three restaurants and the best spa and the best views. Um, I was almost hoping that she was going to rebuff him and no, I need you to finally go legit. And instead, it's the other direction. And I mean, we see his operation working at its at its top efficiency here uh he's moving decks around in and out i i would be curious to ponder for a moment um when he the whole scene where dex delivers coffee sir okay i'm so sorry sir you know is that fisk genuinely saying all right you're out of this mission because i'm angry at you and you messed up or is that further manipulation i don't know your thoughts pete I think that when it comes to Vanessa, as is characterized on the screen in this episode, everything else goes by the wayside, particularly Dex heading into the uh, penthouse there. Not now. 
I'm, I'm with my lady friend. You don't matter. Later on, you screwed up. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's too much. I gave you, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Um, and this is after he acquired or no, was it before he acquired or reacquired uh rabbit in a snowstorm might've been before the coffee scene was before, because I think yeah. Dex is looking for some way to prove himself and yes. going out and killing Karen page is now taken off the table for him. Yeah. And he's gotten blood on the, the frame there. Uh, presumably from murdering um, a Holocaust survivor so that he could get his uh, megalomaniac boss a really overvalued piece of art. <laughs> well said, Pete. And, and maybe that shows my poor uh, appreciation for modern art. But, uh, I mean, I understand the story value of the painting and Fisk's kind of psychological value to the painting me i don't get it well it's not that i don't value or uh, i should say avant-garde or you know modernistic art it, as it is in the story here um it's the whiff of uh narcissism and not the appreciation of it well, let's let's flip now to fully focus on Dex as a villain. Uh, obviously, we've hit on the greatest thing: his implied murder of that that sweet, you know, iron-hearted lady. Um, I have to wonder too. We see Dex almost ele- not even almost. Dex elevates himself as a villain within the organization, which of course it's an organization of villains. So that's kind of he's kind of bucking for a promotion, but. No one seems to be concerned that he did this without orders, which surprised me a bit. I think Vanessa, in pointing it out, has undercut him. Um, That he has the audacity to refer to himself as an FBI agent, special agent, who will also be the new James Wesley. Completely inappropriate all the way around. So the veneer of officiality and uh, propriety underneath that uh, a fixer where, um, you know, Felix Manning is more appropriately the new James Wesley, although not with the relationship that he had with Fisk and that he's done this and that she points it out would um, – Kingpin have picked up on the the little bit of blood on the frame. Um, maybe, maybe not. But that she points it out seems like she's really undercut Dex. Maybe he's disposable. Well, I'll I'll do one further, Pete. How would Fisk have reacted if he was in the scene, or if he overheard Dex saying, "You know, I tell Wilson all the time he's got a yeah. great eye for art." Like that was like. I mean, to me as an audience member, that was like, oh man, Dex really is is unhinged that he is misrepresenting his relationship with this all-powerful kingpin who's got his hands in the pies of the NYPD, presumably some levels of the DA's office, uh, federal prosecutors, the FBI, the Department of Justice, jurors, etc. You do not throw around, hey, my pal Wilson, without... Yeah, you're you're yeah. way too familiar there, Pally. That he is, um, 
But then, Pete, we see him reined in at the end of the episode doing the thing I had hoped he wouldn't do, you know, oh. in, in our last discussion, which is take out Rain Adeem. Yeah, I was really, really heartbroken. Um, I, I had an inkling during this episode uh, that it would be Karen that he would take a shot at publicly. Um, and instead, he can't get um, Rain Deem back into the house and he, he kills him. And it's heartbreaking breaking one shot through the head into the pool all the symbolism that that comes with that and um we'll just have to wait to look at the fallout in the season three maybe the series finale matt i stand by my assessment from last episode that had nadim been kept alive that would have delivered us a bit of happiness for the ending not knowing how the other characters end up, whether we get some sort of happiness there or not. But this very, very much an episode meant to deliver us every unhappy ending. Maybe not, you know, the ending of every character arc, but this is an episode that concludes don't have faith in the system, don't have faith in justice, don't have faith that a good man can do the right thing and it will have an effect, don't have faith in the press. I mean, this is this is an episode yeah. that that asks us to I don't want to overdo. I know we had some relation in, in last the last podcast to some real world events, but I think this is absolutely meant to evoke a feeling of complete lack of faith in law and order and justice and the base the basic system in which we live. I'm gonna disagree with you on the lack of faith and instead point to hope and and this the thesis of this episode is is hopeless. Um, from the moment that, uh, the, the jury goes south and everything that goes wrong for our protagonists, uh, to, to the nudge from another journalist about the, the failing bulletin, Matt, the failing New York bulletin, because someone else says it's failing, they're failing as if, um, a news institution had suffered the losses that it did would suddenly be referred to as um, and how pointed a choice that is in our day now. Um, the, the hope that is stepped away um, between the grand jury, between Ray going to the home and putting himself out in the open. He knows to be murdered. Um, and even earlier in the episode where his wife says that their child will never trust him. Yeah. I mean, the word that you kept saying hopeless, that, that absolutely is what is what the, the, the Ray arc here is meant to, uh, is meant to evoke for sure. And I would say too, as we turn our attention to Vanessa as a villain, there too is a sense of hopelessness, maybe not for her, but I think we all were wondering, is she going to somehow find the good in him? Is she going to be horrified to find out, you know, beneath the, the mask of the Phantom of the Opera here, it's a terribly disfigured creature. No, instead she doubles down and says, I'm here to be evil too. Yeah, nuzzling her uh, face to Fisk's hand there as they're deliberating. 
as she has suggested eliminating the threat instead of some other solution that I, I think it's a case of nurture here that she's been around the, the, the most important um, dialogue she has in the episode about being with the bodyguards, about being with people um, in tourist destinations, but not really being with them because she was separated from him. So she's been starved so long that her solution is to go completely to the dark side. Um, and it's not that it's not believable. It is in a, in a comic book universe, but, uh, maybe not where we expected her to go, which is the nature of, of good drama. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Well, Pete, I will start out by saying my understanding of uh, what to expect from this episode and the last episode based solely on uh, on episode titles. I was completely subverted in this episode, and that's a good thing. The notion that there's one last shot in this episode suggests a sense of finality. We did not get that except for Ray Nadim. Uh, and then, Pete, I won't say what the episode title is just for my, my spoiler pure army out there, but... Uh, for, for that last episode, I really thought it was going to be most of the episode talking about, you know, a, a new beginning, a new chapter for for our heroes. Uh, instead, we have so much to resolve in this next episode. We still have Fisk. We still have Dex. We now have Vanessa. Things are getting worse, not better. Can this all get resolved or are we going to end up with a cliffhanger and then hearts broken when Netflix cancels Daredevil? Well, let's let's not go there on cancelization and certainly hope that that does not take place uh, as Disney Plus now, Matt, is a is a real thing with a website and all as we're speaking here and the announcement, uh, the ink on the uh, Diego Luna um, reprise of Cassian Andor his character from Rogue One with its own series. So now we're two Star Wars live action series. This is on to Disney Plus. Um, Tom Hiddleston tweeted about Loki, yet that's not been made official yet. So take it from the actor and not from a network just yet. We know that right now Daredevil doesn't fit into check their boxes uh, in its current state, let's just hope that it gets its own continued run, if not a proper resolution to these characters we know and love. And even somebody like Ray Nadim, who over the course of 11, 12 episodes here, we came to know and love and to see his tragic downfall. Um, it, I guess you just hope nothing's guaranteed in a time you have to tell a story that you can tell it with the beginning, middle and end that you intend to. But, uh, let me, let me flip all the way back to the beginning, Matt. So we are 38 episodes into daredevil here, Matt. And we finally see Brett Mahoney's mom, but no cigars anywhere to be seen. Something that was mentioned in that first episode. <laughs> Well, I guess everything can't 
can't be resolved. It's not all completely connected, um, but certainly a nice, a nice use of the character. A nice little mini arc over these mm-hmm. thirty-eight episodes for Mahoney, who obviously has not been in every episode, but just again, I, I might be repeating myself, but this is part of the beauty of what is, what was, what may be again, Marvel Netflix, uh, where you can have, you know, ca- characters cross-populate, although I don't know that Mahoney cross-populated. He might have been to the Jessica Jones first season uh, police scene, but less important as to who's crossing shows here and there. It's the fact that you get these familiar characters. It feels like this really lived-in universe, and um, and we get that here with Mahoney. Seema, Matt, and what she says to uh, Nadim in what winds up being their last scene together that they share. Um, was she unnecessarily upset? I mean, yes, a, a wife should be upset that their family, that their child has been involved in this situation and they were endangered. However, he saved them. They came out of it alive. Pete, I think I can objectively agree with what you're saying, but uh, I'm a married guy. You're a married guy. You know what? Sometimes, I'm not even going to say sometimes things aren't objective. Sometimes your understanding as a husband of objectivity is just outright wrong, which means that it is actually subjective. Uh, just just for my own safety here, my own mental safety, <laughs> I'm going to say, Seema, you're absolutely correct. Pete, I know my wife does not listen to this podcast, but she could. And uh, I just want to say, in this particular scene, I understand Seema's anger. She's been let down. He should have done a better job. He should have been the person. The, he should have been his best person, which was her expectation when they got married that that, that beautiful day, some point in the past. And uh, he let her down. And it's sad that they've left on, you know, that they've now parted for forever on these bad terms. But got to make the right decisions there, fella. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, just to pose it and, and listen. Imagine being the significant other gender aside and disclose that, that he put them in harm's way. In one does wonder that look at what he does for a living. It it kind of comes with the territory. But I, I think we've had enough uh, conversation on that. Matt, let's talk about Nelson and Murdoch back in business i won't ponder the particular like i won't ponder some of the paperwork questions i have like was matt legally declared dead if yes what does that do to his license if no then i guess he's just been a guy who has been living on the qt for a while but he still has an active license like what's up with that um i think a bit more pertinent to the actual meat of the story. Foggy wants this partnership to return to do good and they're doing good and faith in the system, faith in justice, faith in all of this playing out the way we hope it will long-term. And part of that is Nelson Murdoch. If that means not being a high priced lawyer, so be it. He's prepared to be with his friend doing good with the skills that they both have. Um, So on the one hand, while things are good, yes, the partnership is back. Then there's the conclusion, there is no justice, there is no hope. Therefore, we can infer there is no Nelson Murdoch. 
I'm certainly interested, Matt, in seeing how they will resolve the business relationship between uh, Nelson and Murdoch. Will they continue? Will it end again? Will they leave us hanging? Who knows? We certainly have a ton of story to be dealt with in this final episode of the season. Did Nadim really need to do jail time, given what he was risking that he would go into a jail that we know that Fisk has um, had uh, the run of before um, was full immunity, not a fair situation. I can understand the perspective very much from Tower's point of view and just this notion that you are here to serve justice and this guy that has done all these things is going to serve no justice. I, I think there's a certain kind of basic, uh, I don't know, basic understandability in terms of, well, he has to pay some kind of price. Um, that the episode did not get into some of the particulars of what is a safe jail for him? How are we going to be able to do this given the wide reach of Kingpin? That's probably indicative of the episode knew he was going to be killed off, which of, of course it did, but that's probably just a sense of, ah, we're not going to deal with this because like in 15 minutes he's dead anyway. Um, but I don't know. I think at the end of the day, Pete, I'm sticking with DA Tower here. Some kind of justice must be, you know, must be served. And if you get five and it's actually three for good behavior, I'm okay with that given the litany of crimes that Nadim has participated in or not, not, uh, you know, called it to the attention of other people if he was merely a witness. I think that they made the choice in the writer's room to have him say, no, I'm good with it, to to take that acceptance of it on responsibility, I think really, really helps the narrative as opposed to these people placing upon him a fate when he's already had the cruel hand of fate, you look at his entire arc such as it exists in season three here from, you know, money troubles because he's a good person, not because they're attempting to live beyond their means to the loss of his life in the pool. He wanted to be able to afford for his family. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he he was an everyman character his death is painful because of that because we can see the corruption that happens to him we can see that happening almost in real time and we can understand each step of the way how looking back at the last step it doesn't look like it's that bad and it really is only upon reflection here at fogwell's gym where uh Thankfully, Pete, they don't have the scene of him actually recapping all this stuff. I like that they edited around that and said, well, let me tell you about all these bad things. Go to a Fisk scene, coming back to the gym, and those are all the bad things I did. But we know that they are a list of bad things, and it kind of was an opportunity to remind us, no, this is a good guy who made villainous decisions. One special grand jury compromised, Matt, okay. But could we see another one and, and go through this? I mean, that's where, I guess, as an optimistic person, I have a little bit of a problem with the hopelessness. Don't look into the hopelessness. Instead, 
steer into, all right, we're going to get them with this try. I, I think it's tower trusting in the system. And I know that part of being in the, the criminal legal world is sometimes juries give a weird bounce or sometimes jury, you know, this jury won't indict or sometimes this jury is a hung jury. And part of the legal playbook is you go back and try again. Um, so I think that's kind of his immediate reaction. You know, that's what, that's what prosecutors do. You don't get what you wanted and you look for further options, including prosecuting again or convening a new grand jury. I don't think for tower, it has sunk in, uh, the reality of what Matt heard and what we saw, which is this is a completely compromised jury. And that's an incredibly scary thing because it's truly the absence of our model of justice. Am I the only one, Matt, that wants this season to end for Dex with the bloodied hand of Mrs. Falb opening a door and eliminating him? <laughs> uh, I think that that is quite a wish, although it's probably wishful thinking. Uh, I appreciate that this episode did not show him in the act of presumably killing her. I think the story is probably best served for maybe you know passing reference much as we heard uh in last episode um though we saw dex kill the two people in the alley how was it dealt with it was oh yeah somebody reported two bodies in an alley two blocks from here you know i think though we saw precious little of mrs falb we don't need to kind of gorily retrace that as a story we can just let her let her be passed away in our in our mind's eye We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, what are they saying over there on old Facebook? John Stewart writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. This was the episode that truly establishes the extent of the Kingpin's villainy. He becomes terrifying when we discover what he is capable of. It is interesting to think that this is now the the third season asterisk. We only saw him in the one episode or two episodes uh, yeah, last season. So if you want to call it two complete seasons, however you want to slice it, we've seen so many episodes where we understand how villainous this guy is, but somehow it continues to get worse and continues to get worse. We were talking about Mrs. Fowl a second ago. That in and of itself almost is a reminder where it's like, uh, I kind of said she was out of bounds, but you went and did the thing anyway. Look, there's a bloody claw mark as she held on to this, you know, this symbol of her family's love and the love that was taken away from her by, you know, Nazis. Eh, you know, like it, it gets worse with Fisk every time. Yeah, it does. The the scope deepens. Robert C. Frost also responded to that Daredevil 309 Relevations episode post. Finally got a chance to watch this episode. Holy cow. Kingpin's machinations upon machinations, level upon level. Please, 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 Father Lantum, do not be under the Kingpin's thumb. Well, good news. He's not. He's he's <laughs> back with his with his own dad, Pete, his heavenly father, the Lord. Over on the Marvel Cinematic Universe 
group page, Matt, where I had also posted the link to the uh, episode 309. Brian Nanya writes, and I have to edit this one a little bit. Am I the only one who dropped a steamy load of stuff in my pants when I found out she was his mom? I mean, it's certainly it was surprising within the narrative. I I know we've discussed in the podcast that uh, much of this, uh, the shape of this season, taking taken from the Born Again uh, storyline. And for the life of me, I can't remember whether that came up in the comics or not. But Pete, part of the beauty of these TV shows, these adaptations, is you don't know when they're going to go with established storyline or against it. And there's no harm, no foul if you haven't read the comic. Pete, whether you're here for the adaptation of a comic or whether you're here for the fresh presentation of a television or movie drama, we are always kept aloft by our patrons who visit patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, making sure that that uh, the podcasts get out on time and that uh, the bleeps and the bloops and the technology and the costs and all that get addressed. Somebody else, Matt, on that uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe Facebook group had admonished us that, uh, you know, you're doing episode 310. This is old already. Um, And I'm not even going to point it out there, but our patrons know that three episodes of Daredevil a week and we just did a Star Trek Discovery short trek. None of this would be possible without all of your support. Well, Pete, the greatest gift of all is, of course, being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,144 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back talking the season finale on Friday and, of course, uh, wrapping up the season as a whole uh, the following Sunday. So the end looming close, but uh, it's been quite an adventure, and I cannot wait to see how the season ends. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. We have all been lied to, all right? We've been manipulated by a sociopath who doesn't care about the truth or about who he hurts, or about anyone other than himself. I'm back.